Welcome back, everyone, to another awesome episode of Biff Bites. First episode of 2020. I'm your host, Jerry Me, joined as always by my awesome co-hosts. We got Mike Long and Bryn Flaherty in the cast today. How you guys doing? All right, all right, all right. Good. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, you too. Definitely, definitely. Psych. <laughs> 2019 was a good year. 2020 is looking even better. Uh, so we got a, a fun episode to go over today. You know, some new legislation. Nothing says fun like new acts of Congress. Right, guys? Yeah, I can hardly wait every year in to get the last minute stuff. uh so yeah today we're gonna be talking about secure act right the secure act the secure act not just secure act oh sorry you're right the secure act gotta gotta emphasize it so this was some regulation that was passed in may of 2019 and it's kind of the uh talk of the town for the financial industry as far as financial planners wondering how it's going to affect their business and individual clients wondering how it's going to affect their retirement, which is, you know, always kind of a touchy subject with clients. Yeah, isn't it? And in this, like so much legislation was tacked on to the end of a, I think it was 1700 page, uh, or maybe the act was 1700 pages, but it was tacked on to the end of appropriations bill to keep the government running, I think for like 90 more days. And it, yeah, and just signed into law, like on the 30th, yeah. like, December 30th. So despite being passed. Yeah, and then, there wasn't a whole lot of talk about it prior to that it seemed right just kind of came out of nowhere i mean it wasn't really even much of an acknowledgement that it was happening in may um it just was hey this is going to be signed into law and here's all the things that it affects yeah i i know i didn't hear about it in may i probably heard about it for the first time in early december right when it was getting you know officially signed into law it really flew under the radar it really did And, and you know you the more you flip through it, it's like, wow, that impacts individual financial planning. That impacts financial planning. That impacts the employer yeah. sponsor of retirement plans. It's like, it's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, there are some huge changes. And, and you know, it's it's actually a good point to bring up that, you know, people who are in the program currently or in any program currently who are going through their course of study, things will change as you're going through the study. So it's important to understand when these changes will be implemented into the exam cycle by the CFP board, uh, which I would hope we'd have some clarity on. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if it's going to go into effect for the July exam. But I, I, wouldn't I be have surprised. heard it is. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine it would. I, I think so. I just, you know, with, when it comes to the CFP board, you never know. I wouldn't also be surprised if they decided to postpone it to November. But, but which they typically like to do. Right. Their, their big changes in November. But for something like this, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see it in July. Yeah, so uh, no word yet from the CFP board, at least at the time that we're recording this, but uh, I'm sure they'll probably get that information out to us uh, definitely before the July exam. Yes. Um, so yeah, let's kind of get warmed up. Mike, you had a, uh, a great little practice question here that goes over the SECURE Act, and uh, this might be a bit unfair for our listeners who this is their first time hearing about the SECURE Act. Uh, you're probably not going to get this right, but for those of our listeners who are a bit more in the know and have already kind of looked over the act, this kind of practice question will represent one of the bigger changes the SECURE Act is, uh, has gone through. Yeah, if nothing else, it hammers home that we need to go read this because even some things we uh, are very simple, uh, boom, that has changed now. <laughs> so Let's dive into it. I'm going to throw this one out to you guys and see how you take it. Um, so Harry and Emma, both age 71, file taxes as a married filing jointly. Uh, Emma retired last year, and Harry continues to work full-time simply because he loves his job. 
Uh, Harry earns $75,000 annually and continues to tribute to his employer's Section 401k plan. Uh, their MAGI is $85,000. Harry has asked uh, how much they can contribute and deduct to a traditional IRA for 2020. Is it A, contribute zero, deduct zero? B, contribute 6,000, deduct uh, zero. Uh, C, contribute 14,000, deduct 7,000. Or D, contribute 14,000 and deduct 14,000. So first, what would be the answer under the old rules? Zero, zero. <laughs> <laughs> right. And how, and how come? Well, the uh, old law had a maximum contribution age of uh, 70 and a half. Right. Once you hit RMD age, you were not allowed to contribute to traditional IRAs anymore. You could do 401ks if you were still working there, and you could do Roths, because Roths don't have the RMD. But once you hit RMD age for traditionals, you were locked out. Uh, so what is it under the new SECURE Act guidelines? What do you think, Brendan? Well, so from my perspective, it looks like that answer D would be correct. So going from the zero contribution, zero deduction, all the way up to being able to contribute $14,000 and most importantly, deduct that $14,000 as well. Yeah. There's a few things in play here. We've got an active participant, right? Cause he, he's uh, in the 401k plan uh, at work yep. and a, a, a spouse that um, is, is not working outside um, the, the home. So we had to consider all of that and that, at the end of this, there's a new $14,000 deduction, which, you know, when I wrote this, I was thinking about like a small business owner where, you know, they often work till 80, 85 or, uh, and continue to have taxable income. Yeah, uh, th- I think this change is huge for, you know, late in life uh, financial planning. Just having the ability to make these IRA contributions and take the tax deduction on it is going to be huge for exactly what you said, Mike, those people who are, you know, running the small family business, you know, maybe they have like a family convenience store, uh, or like a father son business, you know, any of these like, you know, small, small town mom and pop shops, this is a pretty big change for them. No. And, and the other thing I was thinking is, um, you you know, the rule where, uh, if you continue to work used to be 70 and a half and you're at an employer sponsored plan, you could, you know, continue to do that. And, and, uh, that would not be taxable income currently, Unless you were a greater than 5% owner, then you couldn't do that. So this gives that mom and pa a, a, a way to have deductible uh, retirement plan contributions. And, and, and certainly addresses a need. You know, we, one of the issues that I think that we are all going to start seeing uh, is, is the lack of saving for retirement. So this gives people an additional two years because we are see, certainly seeing people working longer in life or later in life. Um, and, and so the ability to continue to to kind of feather that nest for retirement whenever uh-huh. retirement may no be. Doubt. Yeah, I mean, 80 is like the new 60 of the 19, <laughs> 1950s. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, it goes the, around. The hopefully 60 yeah. is the new 60 by the time I get there. So, uh, yeah, that's a good warm-up question. Let's dive in to, you know, the real meat of the SECURE Act, because it's a lengthy bill. There were a ton of little things that were introduced in this bill. Uh, I just kind of want to go over it. Uh, Really, when I was looking through it and reading through all the changes, I felt there were kind of two main, you know, topics that the changes fell into, and it was either 
quality of life changes that just make these types of accounts and, and, you know, investment vehicles easier for the average person to understand and handle. And then the other category is some pretty significant, you know, regulation changes. So first, let's kind of go over the quality of life changes, because I think uh, there's a lot in here that just makes things a lot easier for people. Um, so I would say probably first off, we, we touched on it a bit with the question, but eliminates the age limit for traditional IRA contributions. Um, I think that is a big quality of life change for a lot of people because people, a lot of clients who are kind of managing their own IRAs, you know, maybe they have a Fidelity or Vanguard IRA. They don't really have a financial advisor. Um, you know, they didn't know about these limits and they would make the contribution and then they would go see their tax advisor and their tax advisor would say, hey, you're getting slapped with, uh, you know, a fee because you over contributed to your IRA. You weren't supposed to make a contribution this year because you hit the age limit. Yeah, I think it was a 6% penalty for uh, over right. con- contribution. Right. And also, you know, one of those areas where once once they start looking, you never know where they're going to stop looking. Right. Oh, yeah. So it could be a potential audit flag. Oh, yeah, that's a good call, too. You know, if you do that, all of a sudden you're on a list to get audited and it's an even bigger headache. Um, My biggest problem with those things also is that it was it was felt like a tax on the people who are least likely to be able to afford the tax because the clients who have the financial advisor who's good and, uh, you know, is on top of their game and catches these things for the clients. They're the ones who aren't going to be facing that penalty, whereas they're more than likely the ones who could probably afford that penalty. Whereas, you know, someone who's later in life maybe only has $10,000 in an IRA because they started a couple of years ago, um, you know, that 6% penalty would definitely, you know, ding them uh, harder than someone who's, you know, been having an IRA mm-hmm. for years yeah, and years good and points. years. Um, so, yeah, we kind of touched on that. That's that's definitely a big change, eliminating that age uh, limit. But uh, also, I think one of the biggest quality of life changes, at least from my perspective, because this used to give me nightmares, I used to have to deal with this all the time explaining it to clients, is uh, they increased the RMD age by 18 months. It's no, it's no longer 70 and a half. It's now 72. And again, also an advantage for for most people, you know, where where if you're, you know, it, 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 it allows you to make the, the, the uh, initial distribution uh, a year and a half technically later than you have to right now um again we're saying that people are working a little later in in life and and so this may benefit them from not having to you know take a distribution in a year that they're currently working which would you know exacerbate some of the tax issues that they may face and from my perspective i just love that they finally got rid of that stupid half year yeah i i wish i could get back all the hours of my life that i spent explaining to various clients why it's 70 and a half it's not 70 or 71 like for whatever reason people could just not wrap their head around that and it caused so many issues with uh, missing rmd distributions for the first time you know if you miss the your rmd distribution what was it a 50 percent penalty of the rmd that was supposed to come out yeah they they take half what you were supposed to take that half year issue caused so much confusion you know you're dealing with seniors they're they have a hard time understanding rmds in the first place you throw in that odd number in there and you say hey you don't need to take it now you're gonna have to take it once you get that half year and it's also the year in which you turn 70 and a half so it could push it back you know an entire full year which causes even more confusions on top of that um i just think adding uh moving it to a whole number really simplifies and eliminates a lot of that confusion. Yep, and and CFP exam questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, 
That's one of the busiest questions from retirement is now what age would they be and what how do i do that yeah because they, it was nuanced right and, and so they wanted to make sure that people understood how to interpret those rules correctly and 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 uh, you know one of the few good things that our congress has done recently is is eliminating that conf, uh, that, that confusion now there still could be in the old law 70 and a half was the rmd age and 70 and a half was the maximum ira contribution there still could be some net tax benefit when we have contributions, deductible contributions happening beyond 72, um, even though they have to take an RMD, if you play with that math, you could see that the deduction could partially or fully wipe out taxes on that RMD. It depends on how big the IRA is. Yeah, of course. Yep. Yeah. But there again, I mean, this, you know, virtually every financial planner works with folks on retirement. So this just touches everybody. How big their their qualified accounts are. Yeah. So the next uh, quality of life change, I think is a huge quality of life change uh, for a certain subset of uh, individuals. And we're adding another exemption to the 10% uh, early withdrawal penalty that a lot of people will get dinged at uh, when they really need funds for a certain circumstance in their life. Um, so previously, before the SECURE Act, um, our allowed exemptions were for first-time home purchase uh, and medical expenses over a certain amount of your AGI, which I think are the two the two biggest ones. Were there any other ones you guys can think of as far as exemptions from the early withdrawal penalty? Uh, education. Oh yes, that was what I was forgetting. Education as well for uh, for college. Yep. So and then and then the fourth was kind of a catch-all economic hardship. If if you and your accountant could prove that there was an economic hardship, uh, then you potentially weren't subject to that ten percent early withdrawal penalty. Yeah, my understanding was that was a very difficult thing to prove. Not- yeah, it's 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 an, an enigmatic for sure. Um, and and mm-hmm. um, you know, again, one of those things that puts you on a list for an extra set of eyeballs, which I don't think anyone wants to be on. Right. Um, and with the Secure Act, we are adding another exemption to that list. Uh, now you can take penalty-free withdrawals uh, for a birth or an adoption up to $5,000. So if you have a new kid, if you adopt a kid, uh, you can now take up to $5,000 from your IRA. Uh, You're still going to have to pay the taxes on it because it's coming out of your traditional IRA, but you won't have to face that 10% early withdrawal penalty. Yeah, I think that's a great addition. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any debate with that one. I think it's just, you know, giving people more flexibility with their IRAs, giving them more control over their money and, you know, not putting them in this feel bad situation of, oh, you just had this wonderful life event. We're going to tax you for it. Yeah, we're going to penalize you for it. You mentioned something, too, um, about the medical expense. You know, that went from seven and a half to ten. And and I believe that the SECURE Act dials that back to seven and a half percent again i would agree with that yep oh okay in terms of the uh seven and a half percent of of agi correct yes yeah yep i agree with you awesome anything else on that before we move on to the next point nope cool so this one i don't know about you guys but this one i was actually really happy to see because um this actually affects a lot of my friends so uh, living in Boston, Boston's a big college town, lots of research uh, funded by colleges, R&D, scientists doing experiments, uh, a big part of the Boston economy. And for a lot of my friends who work in these industries, the way they get paid is with fellowships and stipends. 
So they get these payments from the universities for conducting their research. Things considered, it's it's pretty much the same as getting a paycheck. But for the longest time, the big thing was it's not considered income for IRA contribution purposes. So all of my friends working in these education industries uh, could not contribute to IRAs because it was not considered taxable income to allow them to make that IRA contribution. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's changed under the SECURE Act. Yeah, another welcome change, yeah. That's correct. Yep. So the way that they they word it is is uh, treats taxable higher education earnings as IRA eligible compensation. So that is a big deal, you know, in academia. And I, it's very interesting the way they worded that because um, they they worded it in such a way as that it doesn't change. Um, the way that income is taxed any other way, it's still going to be considered and for all extents and purposes, you know, how it was treated before. They're just saying, okay, now we're just going to allow IRAs to treat these as income. They're, they're not overcomplicating these individuals' uh, taxes right. in order to get them an IRA contribution. They're just, you know, opening the door a little bit wider for them. Yeah, that's, uh, my son did several years, uh, actually lived in Boston, did several years of postdoc work, and we were just talking about that when it had been nice to have that law then mm-hmm. and uh, you know, make the contributions. Funny how none of this is retroactive for at least a three-year uh, <laughs> look-back period that you can do with a lot of other stuff. So Now, the, the, the flip side of that is, unfortunately, so many of the students have large education loans. So the the inclination to put five grand into the IRA will probably get trumped by the uh, this loan repayments. Right, right, right. Well, actually, this this also allows for um, th- there was a little tweak with that as well, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, I have that a little bit further down the list, but I think now's a good time. We'll we'll jump to that point, and this one's kind of weird because it doesn't have anything to do with IRAs. This really felt like an uh, an add on that they snuck in at the <laughs> end exactly of a bill that was. was snuck in at the end of an appropriations bill. Uh, yeah, you know, hiding it in a box in a box in a box, but. Uh, yeah, so also a change, not to IRAs, but to 529s. So 529s can now be used to pay up to $10,000 of student loans. Total, 10000 total. Not, I don't think that that's an annual thing. I think that's total. Yes, yep, lifetime, yep. 10000 total of student loans or of a sibling's loans. Um, the downside is if you do that, you cannot uh, write off the interest on your taxes if you use a 529 to pay for these right. loans. Sure, yeah. Uh, I think this is I think this is really good. I just wish it was a larger number. Right. Well, maybe it will be at some point in the future. Maybe they'll index it. But, uh, you know, obviously student loans are, are the next or, 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 you know, maybe not even the next, maybe the current uh, issue that a lot of people are facing in terms of being able to save for uh, retirement. Yeah, for sure. And this I, I also put under the quality of life uh, heading because I remember back in my day when I first started in the industry and uh, working the help desk, which is basically just fielding angry phone calls from clients. Um, you know, a big complaint was these uh, individuals had uh, 529 set up. They took out loans anyways for whatever reason because they thought that's just what you do, and they were going to use their 529s to pay off their loans. And then lo and behold, they find out they can't actually do that. Um, so it, it it is nice that these 529s can be used now to to make those loan payments. Yeah, and this and the sibling thing in there is huge as well because you wouldn't have to change the beneficiary uh, of the 529. Right. Yeah. It's it yeah. really is just kind of like a like I said a quality of life change just makes things easier for everyone. Yeah, and the, you know, also buried in that section uh these expenses can be for registered apprenticeships 
as well as homeschooling. Yeah. Which could be interesting conversation with, with the child and the parent that, you know, you, know, you must buy this Mac uh, computer. <laughs> hey, I can use my 529 for it. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think they also added expenses related, and forgive me if we've already mentioned this, I don't think we have, but expenses related to qualified apprenticeship programs uh, are, are also considered uh, qualified expenses for 529 plans. So 529s really starting to flex their muscle. They got uh, some nice uh, buffs in uh, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Now the Secure Act is giving them some more power. You know, I wish I wish they'd do it the other way too, where they'd benefit a little bit or make the, the uh, IRA in, in other qualified plans look more like the 529s where you can where you can mm-hmm. stuff that five years worth up front because uh, I think that would also go a long way to, to, to for people that have the ability to do it now that maybe didn't have the ability to do it yeah, then that would be great. Um, to, to allow the market to kind of cook on that money for you know an additional five years as opposed to spreading out the contributions over a five-year period. My my biggest holdout wish list for uh, five twenty nine plans is uh, giving them some more investment flexibility. I think they're yep, still a exactly. little too restrictive with you know basically being mutual funds yep. only of a certain company that you know runs the plan. Up next for quality of life, we got two more here. Uh, this one's a smaller change, but I you know might affect a, a fair bit of people is uh, the auto enrollment cap for employer sponsored plans. Uh, auto enrollment cap increased from 10% to 15% of compensation. Can either of you guys speak on that in a little bit more detail? Yeah, I um I mean this is interesting to me I, and I I just would love to to know data and statistics on um you know how many companies actually do this. The the reason they do it is to get around some of the a testing that has to be done, but you can opt out. So if they if they drop somebody in there automatically and it's fifteen percent of their pay, um, does not the employee just turn around and opt out if they were not inclined initially? And I'm asking this more as a question than an actual experience. Yeah, I, I mean, in my experience is is that the the, the uh, there's a lot of people that probably can. Uh, contribute to to a qualified plan that don't just because of inertia. You know, I just I haven't done it, and 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 so if if they make it an opt out versus an opt in, uh, the thought would be that more people would actually save. Now, I think fifteen percent is a pretty robust number. I mean, I, I would I'd be shocked if people contributing more than the match, let's say, um, outweighed the people who are contributing to the match or or below. Uh, so 15% is, I think, a, a, a pretty aggressive uh, opt-out. Um, uh, even 10%, I think, was aggressive. But, but in general, I think it's good. It at least gets it gets people started in their in their contributions. Yeah, maybe the old "don't see it, don't miss it." Yeah, you, you know. It's yeah, right. That's exactly right. I live you know? on what I take home. Yep. So. Um, yeah, invest the money before yeah. you get it. In uh, previous jobs I've had that have had these, you know, automatic contribution programs, it was gradual. So I think we, it, we you know, when I was hired, um, the automatic contribution started at five percent, and every year I was there, it automatically ticked up one percent. Yeah, yeah, so, that's right. Mm-hmm. So after five years, you were contributing ten percent, and the whole idea behind that is, like you said, Mike, you don't see it, you don't miss it. It's such a gradual change, and it should also more or less be taking place with wage increases that you get just from uh, mm-hmm. inflation increases to yeah, your that's pay. A good point. Yeah. Um, that you wouldn't really notice the change in your quality of life, but you're increasing your uh, retirement contributions over time. You know, and certainly when we when we talk to uh, participants or, or eligible participants in in a four hundred one k 
deeply. And we'll, we'll say that there's a certain amount where, you know, if you contribute, your take-home pay may actually go up despite the fact that you're, you're taking money out because it reduces your taxable income. Um, and, and so I think that, you know, education is a big piece of getting people to contribute to their, you know, we all, we all are very, uh, short-sighted, you know, it's, it's, it's easier to kind of deal with things in the, in the immediate term, as opposed to worrying about the long term. hence why we have some of these issues and why these changes were taking place. Um, but, uh, you know, to Mike's point, if you can, if you can invest it before you can get your hands on it, uh, you're much more apt to keep it invested. Yeah, I, I do agree though. I think 15% is probably a bit steep. I, even if it was a gradual increase, like <laughs> also just if you're on the, this plan yeah. where it increases by a percent anyways, it's going to take you 10 years to get to that 15%. Yeah. Yeah. And again, they're just trying to get the numbers, um, up in the plans and the contribution level up because that affects then the highly compensated folks in the plan. So there's, there's a lot in play. So, Mike, there was a nice little quality of life change that you wanted to bring up, too. Yeah, I think, um, you know, tagging on to the auto enroll piece, a good time to mention, I think, even something more beneficial. And that is um, plans can now include part time uh, employees in uh, in their, let's say, 401k or qualified plan in general. Uh, But 401k is where we'll really see this. Um, before it had to be uh, full time, and, and that meant two thousand hours. Now, uh, as little as a thousand hours uh, per year, or five hundred hours uh, in each of the last three years, uh, they can be eligible to participate. And one of the cool things about this, if if the election is made by the employer sponsor to go to five hundred hours um, over the la- uh, in each of the last three years. The employer can cannot consider those folks in the um, in the ADP testing because that would be a real issue if if you have part time folks uh, only working five hundred hours a, a year and they come in at very low contribution levels, then that's going to lower the ADP of that group and further restrict the highly compensated folks. But they can elect out of that and not count them in that math, which I think is pretty pretty cool. Right. And what's nice for the workers is that um, these companies now have to offer these workers uh, the retirement plan if they're offering it to their full time workers as well. Good point. Yeah. Um, And that's really big for seasonal workers. Uh, I was seeing a lot of articles about this, that this is huge for people uh, who are, you know, work in agriculture, who work in tourism, um, you know, work in these industries where they don't have full time pay. They're not working year round just because of the seasonal nature, Mm -hmm. you know, of the employment. Now they have the ability to open a retirement plan, whereas before they did not. Sure. Good point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that I put under regulations, but yeah, that is also a a big quality of life change for a lot of individuals. Yeah. Hopefully a lot more folks will be participating at some level. Yes. And I think that's really the ultimate goal of the secure act is just get more people saving for retirement, you know, make it easy for people so that they'll do it. Yeah. I, I want to know the government wordsmith though, that, that crafted the title of this. Oh yes. Yes. We, we probably should have read this at the beginning, but I do love the, the acronym that the secure act, uh, setting every community up for retirement enhancement. (laughs) Great name. Great name. Uh, 
All right, guys, that was fun talking about the uh, quality of life changes that the Secure Act is going to have. Now let's really dig into the meat, meat and potatoes of the regulations that are getting an overhaul. Um, you know, these aren't going to be seen as much uh, from the individual client or employee, but it's definitely things that employers and especially financial advisors are going to have to keep in mind uh, because it does affect the way we talk about these types of plans and how we run these types of plans. Uh, um, I think one of the big ones that... Uh, I, this might get a little political here as far as, you know, how this got added into this bill, but, uh, this one might be a bit more of the controversial side of the, uh, the secure act is, uh, there's now, uh, employer liability protection for annuities inside of 401ks. So previously 401ks, uh, it was extremely difficult to have an annuity nested inside a 401k because of all the regulations and liabilities that came into effect to the point that pretty much no 401k offered an annuity because it was just too much of a issue for the employer. They're trying to make that a little bit easier. Um, what do you what do you guys think? I think it's the power of uh, life insurance industry lobby. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. This this kind of amendment to the bill just reeks of uh, of uh, lobbyists. <laughs> you know, and it's it's interesting that that in this in this environment where you know we've got regulation best interest coming in in June, uh, where we're increasing overall fiduciary exposure uh, in in the investment advice business in in general. Um, this specific area kind of reduces that fiduciary exposure, uh, specifically in, inside of qualified plans. You know, so it's it's kind of contra to the to the environment that we're moving to, uh, is is loosening up some of these exposures here. Yeah, I mean, my biggest problem with it is. 401ks are typically very restrictive with what you're allowed to invest in. It's usually your employer gives you a list of things to invest in and you get to choose from that list. So it's almost like an illusion of choice where, yeah, you're making your choice about, you know, the S&P versus, you know, a small cap fund, but you're still only choosing the funds that your employer allows you to choose from. And I just see the same thing happening with these annuities where, oh, you want an annuity? Set it up through your 401k, but we're only going to let you choose annuities from you know these companies that we have deals with yeah i feel i feel for these um, employer sponsors and plan administrators i mean just because this gets so complex so quickly and last person to probably is going to understand it is the participant um right well that's true of most of it right but but especially here when we're adding lay, uh, lay, levels of, of complexity you know, annuities are not easy. Yeah, to I mean, conceptually, I get it, and and I and and for some participants, it, it really might make sense to have income that that they cannot outlive. You know, it used to say, you don't want to have too much life left at the end of your money. Um, so this deals with that, but then how to pick and what the payout rates are actually going to be. Um, it, yeah, well, I mean, what's actually going to be guaranteed? Um, so anyway, I just, I hope it goes well, but I'm fearful about that. And, and it, it's also interesting that they're, they're, you know, we've moved away for so long from defined benefit scenarios, um, and, and now we're kind of putting a defined benefit inside of a defined contribution plan. Um, and while it's technically not, you know, in, in, in truly a defined benefit, it is, 
you know, this guaranteed income. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where this where this falls out. Yeah. Well, it made me think, Brendan. I'd be interested in your um, in your reflection on this. The longevity annuities, uh, where you could yeah. take uh, I forget how much the it was, um, hundred and some thousand maybe, and put it in to an annuity in the IRA, and that wouldn't count for uh, RMD purposes. And uh, did you see a lot of that action in your firm? No. Yeah. Nope. That would that's no, almost none. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of that's driven by the by the advisor more so than the client. I mean, it's very rare where a client says, well, I was reading about this benefit and calls and says, I'd like to do this. You know, usually it's it's uh, more of a push than a pull. Um, and, and so we, um, you know, I, I have not seen really any of those in my entire okay. career. That, that would have been what I expected to hear. So we'll see. Um, yeah, you can right. make it sound really, really good with with this this piece. But I don't know. Stay tuned. Yeah. My, what I feel personally, and anyone who asks, I'm still only would purchase an annuity from a fiduciary. Like, I don't ever see myself purchasing an annuity through my 401k. It just feels a little too shady to me. But I feel a lot of people who are probably the most vulnerable and the least financially educated are really going to be the ones who fall prey to this the most, you know, especially for those, you know, large companies where you have like your retirement planning day where, you know, everyone gets to meet with the financial advisor who runs the 401k for the entire company and you get to spend, you know, five, 10 minutes with that financial advisor. And, you know, if that financial advisor is motivated in a certain way, they could just be hawking annuities left and right in these people's 401k. That's a great point. And I, I wonder, too, I haven't read um, any detail on this of will will it only be fixed annuities or will we see variable annuities in this offering? Will we see index annuities? And how do you sort all that out? I think eventually you'll see all three. You know, it'll be it'll be among your choices. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be really interested to see the conflict of interest documents that these plan sponsor advisors are going to have to put together. Um, you know, I'm going to be really interested to see how uh, these annuity companies compensate these uh, advisors who have, you know, hundreds of hundreds of people in these 401ks, because that is a huge potential pool of customers for these annuity companies. And I'm sure they're going to do everything to get as many people signed up as possible. Yeah. And this benefit is also portable, I believe. So the person that leaves is entitled to take it to the next place. So how's that happen administratively? Right. If it's if it's oh, not on right. the list, wow, if they yeah. right. a new one. <laughs> I didn't think about that. That is a right. nightmare. <laughs> Secure Act of 2021. All right. So up next on the list is uh, I think probably the one item of the Secure Act that people are really upset about. Um, the annuities, you, you got your pros and cons, you know, the F supporters, mostly lobbyists, uh, who are for the annuities. I, I don't know anyone who is that really for the, uh, this next change, which is eliminating stretch IRAs and replacing them with a 10 year rule. The IRS was very much in favor of this one. Ah, we found <laughs> Just, it. Just, yeah. <laughs> they have we a potent the lobby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. the IRS lobby is pretty strong. <laughs> yeah. Um, so first, let's kind of under the old rules. Can you guys explain what a stretch IRA was? Sure. And simply, it was it meant to stretch out, to spread out the payouts uh, of IRAs over multiple generations. At death, um, 
you know, RMDs must must begin for the beneficiary, most beneficiaries with with a few exceptions. Uh, and then that beneficiary would, uh, or that first beneficiary, uh, names another beneficiary. And, and so each one of them continues on with the RMDs, uh, over two, three, four, five, uh, generations. And it was very popular. Right. Cause it really felt like, uh, getting around the, uh, RMD requirements because, um, you, you know, because you stretch them out so long, the payments end up being very small True, over yes. time. And it was a very effective estate planning tool. Yes, that's the big one. You know, get it out of the estate. It's in the IRA. You're still going to have to take RMDs, but it's going to be much less of a tax right. hit uh, than the estate tax is yeah. going to be. Yep. And, and you know, we ended up seeing, I mean, I guess this is why they started doing it. We're starting to reach the critical mass just because of the lifetime tables for RMDs that didn't always match up with people's actual lifetime expectancies, especially when people die on the younger side. You know, I I would see clients who were taking RMDs from a grandparent's account. You know, their grandparent died, left it to their parent. The parent started taking stretch RMDs. Then the parent dies, leaves, leaves it to the grandchild. Now the grandchild's taking RMDs for someone who's been, you know, dead for 20 yeah. years. There's a lot of financial yep. planning that needs to be reviewed uh, at this point. Now, there are some ex- uh, uh, folks exempted from uh, from that list, um, including surviving spouses right. and uh, minority children up to the age of majority, um, and then individuals within 10 years of age of the deceased uh, IRA owner, as well as the chronically ill and disabled. So this is where the advisors really, really need to review the beneficiary designations. And are they in an exempted group? Are they no longer uh, part of that group? Will they grow into that or out of that group? Uh, just all kinds of moving pieces here to which this 10-year uh, rule will apply. Right. Yeah, going to be interesting. Uh, I think it's going to be a really busy uh, season for some estate planners. Uh, there's I, anyone I would say with an inherited IRA is going to have to consider this. Yeah, and and you know to Mike's point, it, it it just it emphasizes the thoughtfulness that is required to be an effective financial planner, and, and um, you know making sure that the other experts, the accountants and the and the estate planning attorneys are are also being thoughtful with their work um, so that the clients and their beneficiaries maximize the benefits that are uh, available to them. Yeah, this could also lead to some new business opportunities as well. A financial planner maybe hasn't worked with the client yet in the in the retirement area or certainly maybe hasn't reviewed beneficiary designations, and this may open a door to um, you know, do some additional work for the client. But, you know, I think about the young, you know, I think about the minor child, so they're exempted from this, but then they're no longer a, a minor and don't fit into the other categories. Now we've got a problem, and that may be five years on the horizon for the client. Right, and again, I think that that's where, you know, as with any new law, as as things happen and, and it, it gets tested in courts, I think that... Um, you know, you'll see common sense come into this and a little bit more clarity as to exactly how this stuff is going to work. Yeah, and it's even worse for trusts. Right. Um, see-through trusts that were set up as the IRA beneficiary, and we don't need to – that could be a whole episode in and whole of itself. on its own, yeah, but for sure. just beware. If your client has a trust as a beneficiary of these these qualified accounts, you really need to get to to work on this. But we, we could also talk about uh, – so what, what do we do about it? You know, is it time to revisit – 
um, Roth conversions. We're at one of the lowest marginal uh, tax rates uh, that we've had in many, many years. And, and uh, that might have in, past, in the past, the tax rates might have kept someone from converting. Maybe with this new rule, they might want to reconsider putting it all in Roth because then the RMT will still apply at death, but it's going to be tax free. Yeah. Yeah. For now. The Secure Act of 2025. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the other, and then we can move on, but, um, you know, the RMD, it did away with the RMD. It's just at the end of 10 years, this has all got to be out of there. And, and I, and I, and I believe with the trust, it would just, that would be the only option. 10 year, boom. Uh, and, and it's all taxable in one year. So from, from an IRS standpoint, it looked like, probably looks like a lot of revenue being able right. to hit these things in one big lump sum. Yeah. I didn't check the schedule. Is it 10% each year or like, does it yeah. ramp up? No, no, it doesn't. It just 10 years. It's gotta be gone. So I can skip RMD payments for nine years. And in the 10th year, I have to close the account. Like, is that an option? That's it exactly all has right. to be liquidated. Yeah. I, I feel that might almost be the safest way. I'm like, yeah, that's going to be a huge tax bill, but you could try and gamble on regulations changing in the next 10 years. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can. there's a bit of gaming that can go in, right? Maybe you have uh, worse income years than others, and that's an opportunity to get some of it out at potentially a lower tax bracket. But, yeah, it's huh. – it's, uh, yeah, maybe there'll be a new product, the options on this, uh, you know, whether it's going to change or not. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> options as in tradable options. <laughs> what, so what, what, <laughs> what uh, man, there's, I have so many questions about that. Like, what happens if you do this, you don't take any distributions for nine years, you die in the ninth year and leave it to someone else? Does the 10 years restart? Yeah, I, yeah, that's a good, I, I, I this may be something we want to research and reinsert or something. I, I kind of think it does restart. But so I thought that was just going to be on growth, though. That's where I'm. I, I thought the 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 original corpus would be would be needed to be removed. But again, that, that, that's so. When I was saying before that that we, we need some some you know challenges in court for this stuff to to, to be more clear, um, like these specific things are, are, are things that will be contested. Yeah, because because one of the potential strategies would be where initially just maybe an adult child was the beneficiary and they were having a, the surviving spouse provided for in other ways, you reshuffle that deck and make the surviving spouse the beneficiary for it all, or let's say half of it. And so the spouse doesn't have required RMDs, but the child would start theirs right away uh, on the 10 year plan um, that clock would start, but then when the when the other spouse dies and the child inherits that half, I think there might be a new clock on that half. But but I'm not positive. Yeah, yeah I think you know what you um, might be right about what, that. What you're talking about with just the growth that very well could be. Um, but but I'm thinking it does. Yeah, and again, I, I, I there's just not enough. There's just not enough in in, in any of the the conference calls that I've been a part of to to discuss these. Uh, I have not. It just hasn't come up. 
Yeah, it's just really getting started. If you if, you know follow, I think you said you you attended three of them on Friday alone. Right. Um, yeah. So you, we're going to start seeing a lot of this. It just kind of snuck up on everybody, being a end of the year thing. Yeah. To be fair, the IRS is probably not entirely sure themselves. So <laughs> it's it's yeah, and it goes back to like when when DOL was coming in, the DOL rule was coming in. Uh, I, I sat in an audience listening to one of the lawyers who drew it up, uh, and there's a lot of there was a lot of gray area. Uh, and, and she said it's going to take months and years for common sense to kind of fall into this, you know, and that's never what you want to hear when there's a huge change to the laws, you know, and, and so but th- it'll be the same with this. I mean, it's going to take some time to hear, you know, what, what you know, revenue rulings and, and, and uh, court rulings, uh, w- how it will shape things specifically to what you brought up, Jerry. So... Up next, uh, not as big of a change, but still uh, interesting. And another bonus for small businesses like the mom and pops is multi-employer retirement plan 401ks uh, are now allowed. So basically the idea is small business owners can join together and form pooled 401ks uh, from multiple companies to help share the cost of running a 401k. Yeah, it'll be. Um, I just thought this was kind of interesting. I don't know how many people are going to take advantage of it. It's probably going to you know, affect the you know other products that are specifically aimed towards small businesses. But I just find it interesting that now companies can kind of ha- you know join together to share the costs of uh, administration for these you know really expensive 401k plans. You know that that could be an uh, an area of of qualified plan administration that emerges where because I, I look at this and I say, yeah, I like that idea, but who's going to facilitate it? Who, you know, how do you put the companies together? How do you how do you uh, initiate this? Uh, and maybe it is through groups and and, and such. But I, I see it as a line of business for somebody. Yeah, and, and they're they're most expensive at the beginning. You know, the the more assets that are in a plan, the cheaper they become. Um, you know, in terms of a percentage of of uh, assets and who wants to deal with them. And so I could see this being very popular with like trade groups and things like that. I think it's a great. Uh, this is a great addition. Yeah. I, I think probably the main target of this is going to be like um, unions, trade association, like uh, plumbers, carpenters. You know, yep. a lot of these uh, are just like one man operation. It's a guy in a truck and he runs his own right. business. And now he has the opportunity to, you know, have a 401k by kind of joining together with his plumber buddies or his, you know, carpenter buddies. For sure. Yep. So it just it gives some flexibility. What do you think this means for the like sep simple you know all the products that are you know usually targeted to these individuals uh you know the simplicity of those other things is um awfully attractive you know easy to set up easy to run your yeah now another piece of this law change was um in the past uh, a qualified plan would need to be adopted prior to the end of the year for which contributions were going to be made um, the only plan that existed where it could be uh, adopted and funded as late as the due date of the tax return, including extensions, was the SEP. Now you can do it with any plan. Yeah. So I think if you're sole proprietor, so you still use that if you're if you're kind of on your own. But as soon as you start having eligible employees, that that those things kind of become less attractive. Right. So we'll see. I mean, I, I, I again, I hope. I hope. I'm hopeful. This will all this will lead to more people in plans. Uh, Next change is kind of a small change, but I think it was, you know, more protecting people from themselves. Uh, 401ks can no longer offer loans through credit cards, which 
I didn't even know existed, but now that I see Yeah, I never I've never known anybody that had that. I've never seen it, but yeah, I mean, you yeah. I, I tell people like, you know, the, taking the loan out of the 401k is, is one step above burning the furniture. And so the fact that you know, you can make it easy with a credit card is astonishing that that was ever legal. Yeah, like the the this is one of those rules that when it got put in place, I'm like, "Oh, wow, I'm surprised that wasn't a rule already." <laughs> I mean, they made it a rule because I guess it must have happened. But <laughs> yeah, some somebody out there is saying, "Damn it!" Yeah, you know, there goes the gig, yeah. right? But uh, it's, it's I've never ever ever seen it. Yeah. You know, they have to charge interest alone from a four hundred one k. I wonder if it was twenty percent. Yeah, uh, and then you could consolidate them all into another card. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, if it's the yeah, standard credit cards, yeah, yeah. I was shocked yeah. by that one. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So, well, that is a welcome change. Uh, I think we all wished it would have been a, you know, not a rule that we had to make, but, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it it happened somewhere. Um, All right. So the final bullet point we have on this list is actually a big one. Another one of those just like random add-ons that did not seem related to the rest of the SECURE Act as far as its focus on retirement plans uh kitty tax going away we just changed it what's going on guys yeah i was shocked by this one uh you know and this one to me was like oh a major donor must have complained because they've got a bunch of kids subject to this this tax but you know i was talking to uh to you guys over the last couple weeks like you did this change because it was tucked in a sentence that had to do with survivor benefits for the children of military and then it goes on to say and certain other under income and and I didn't see where anybody was writing about this right. uh, it, until now, and and yet it it's it's a big change with the kitty tax. So um, anyway, yeah. So tax cuts and jobs acts comes out says we're no longer gonna tax kids at their parents' marginal tax rates. Now we're gonna tr- tax kids at the trust and estate tax rates. We went through all this work rewriting all the curriculum, learning the new rules. Uh, I did like it. It was once you once you knew it, once you understood it, it was easier to figure out. It was just kind of wrapping your head around the initial change. Uh, And now it's all for nothing. They're just going back to what it was like less than a year. Did we even have a year? No. Yeah. Not well, probably just about a year. Yeah. Probably just about a year. And um, just in time for us to rewrite all the textbooks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My my theory is this was actually a ploy by the textbook lobbyists (laughs) so that uh, they (laughs) they can print some new editions. (laughs) Very well could be true. So it just went back to how it was before. Right. I mean, it's now at the parents highest marginal rate. Yeah, and I think it. I think it allows. Uh, if I, I, I'm, I don't see it right now, but I remember seeing that it, it allows you to to do it also for 2018 and uh. 2019. So you could restate taxes under the new rules. I think going wow. back two years. Completely getting rid of it. They completely. Yeah, uh, literally taking hit. an erasure to it, like it never happened. If you don't want it to, I mean, if you want to, you know, continue on with whatever you filed already, that then so be it. But Congress says we're we're going to take a mulligan on this one. <laughs> so, so for the CFP, it seems like the March exam is going to be the only te- test ever to test on the kitty tax rule because no november did too. oh yeah that's right november did so yeah 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 
November yeah. and March is going to have the now old but was new uh, kitty tax rule. And now it's is starting in most likely July. It's going to go back to the old way. Right. Yeah. yeah. We'll I see. Think, yeah. We'll, we'll hopefully <laughs> right. we'll see some clarity on that pretty soon. Right. Right. But. So, well, that's uh, all's, all's well that ends well, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Right. Awesome. Well, any uh, other thoughts you guys wanted to close out with about the Secure Act? Just read it. Get in there and read it. Yeah, read it and and pay attention because I do think, you know, as this was kind of tucked into the end of a bill, I think some some alterations to this may be tucked into future bills, potentially even Reg BI when that gets that gets uh, completely signed in. You know, there, there will be, I think, some nuanced changes to this as well. Um, you know, but in general, most of the stuff is One good. One thing I found very helpful, as you guys probably did as well, is there are a lot of articles out there now but it's hit or miss of what all they're going to cover i would i would read i would read good articles on it but also get a copy yeah, of the final bill so that you can go into that section and and read exactly what was written to fill in some of the details or to cover to learn about other things that maybe aren't covered in a particular author's article but it it was it's hard to distinguish sometimes is this the house version is this the senate version is this the final? Uh, it, so try, try to find the final uh, copy. Um, and if you are looking for a good summary, uh, one of the best summaries that I found was actually put out by Congress. Uh, Congress.gov uh, has a nice uh, summary where they go paragraph by paragraph and they basically write a, a one sentence explanation of what the paragraph is for. So okay, if you good. if you don't have the patience to read through all the legalese of the actual uh, bill. Uh, the Congress.gov article gives you a nice, uh, you know, non-biased explanation without, you know, reading it through the lens of some writer for some company that has a particular agenda in mind. Yeah. And if you um, as you learn in your practice to our listeners, uh, you know, more nuances and details with this, we'd love to we'd love to be in communication with you. Give us a shout. Yeah. Yeah, if there's anything we missed, anything that's, you know, huge for you that we didn't think was that big of a deal, definitely let us know because it's it's new. There's going to be a lot of changes with it. We don't really know how to interpret everything yet. So let us know what, what you yeah. care most about. With yeah, this absolutely. Bill. Awesome. So with that, uh, we're going to close it out. Thanks, everyone, to, for listening. Uh, you can check out all our older episodes at BiffBites.com. Uh, that's also where we have a bunch of other material to help you get ready for the CFP exam and also just interesting stuff for the uh, financial planners of the world. Uh, thanks, Mike and Brendan. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks, Brendan. Yeah. See you soon. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks again, and Happy New Year to everybody. Mm-hmm.